Hello and welcome to Nursing Matters, the brand new podcast from the Professional Nursing Committee of the Royal College of Nursing. My name is Rachel Hollis and I'm the chair of the committee. Every two weeks we plan to bring you news and developments from the nursing world. We'll be meeting inspirational professionals and colleagues and hearing about what really matters to nurses and to nursing. With me, I've got one of our committee members, Professor Alison Leary. Hi, Alison. Hi, Rachel. Thanks for inviting me. Great to have you here. Just um, tell us a bit about yourself. Thanks. I'm the London elected member of the PNC at the RCN, and I work as a professor of healthcare modelling at London South Bank University. So I'm a mathematician and registered nurse. And I don't think there are that many registered nurses who would say they were also mathematicians. This is our very first edition. As the Professional Nursing Committee, we decided we wanted to do a podcast because we think there are some really important things for us to discuss about the nursing profession and really think about what's missing from the current narrative that we see in much of the media and the world around us. And Alison, Nursing Matters was your suggested title. Where did it come from and where do you see this podcast taking us? Nursing matters has two meanings, really. So for me, it's the fact that there are things that that nurses are interested in and really, you know, are very current issues and things are moving so quickly at the moment. But there's also the fact that nursing itself matters. It's the largest safety critical profession in healthcare areas like social care. There's a massive presence in, in terms of registered nurses and nursing support workers and the college's membership. So for me, it, it's really got two meanings to it. But nursing really does matter. So Nursing Matters, the podcast, will be coming out every two weeks. So please do follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or whatever your favourite podcast app is. And in every edition, we'll be bringing you news and developments, what's going on in the world of nursing. We'll be meeting some inspiring professionals and colleagues and hearing about what really does matter to nurses and to nursing and to why nursing matters. We'll also be answering your questions at the end of each episode, so please do tweet us. You can tweet at the RCN with the hashtag Nursing Matters and we'll pick up your questions from there. Later in the podcast, we'll be talking to our very first special guest. Our first guest is um, Lou Cahill and Lou runs a mass vaccination centre in Newport in Wales and we'll be talking to Lou about how the vaccination rollout is progressing on the ground. But first of all, we're going to move to probably the biggest topic for most people around the world of nursing at the moment, and that's the government's derisory proposal of a 1% pay increase from NHS workers in England. Alison, you've got your kind of ear to the ground, especially on social media. How would you describe the reaction from nurses? I think it's safe to say, Rachel, it's not been very well received. Um, particularly in the circumstances that we're under. And I think a lot of people, particularly, you know, in the last year or so, things have been very difficult. And so it's, it seems probably quite insulting to a lot of people. It's also less than, than was mapped out in the in the plan. So I think that's seen as also quite insulting. And, of course, the pay review body hasn't reported back yet. So it will be interesting to see what they say and what their take on it is. And I'm wondering if they're going to go for the original 2.1%. So I think, yeah, it's not been well received. And of course, it's, you know, the pandemic has been a terrible experience for a lot of people. But this issue predates the the pandemic by about 10 years. and, And it's something that really needs to be addressed by government if they want safe and effective care. 
Yeah, I, I think when the um, government's proposal of 1% came came out, you could kind of feel that pal- palpable sense really of of anger and disappointment. And, and I think, you know, pay is um, such a, a tangible demonstration of, of the value placed on a, on a profession, isn't it? The whole um, campaign for fair pay that's running through the RCN um, at the moment is not about fair pay because nurses have worked so hard, been impacted so dramatically by the pandemic, which of course is true. But actually, it's about how pay recognises the knowledge, skills and responsibilities of of nurses. And I think that's kind of where some of that anger's come from. Yeah, I'd agree with that. You know, every professional group wants respect, reward and recognition for what they do. And and that's usually in different sorts of forms. But pay pay is central to that. It's quite interesting listening to the political narrative, um, particularly some of the other ministers, one of the MPs recently, I think he's from Crewe and Nantwich, you know, essentially saying that nurses have enjoyed a 25% pay increase over the last few years, which is, of course, not true. So this sort of contrary narrative, I think, is just helping fuel people's anger. And I think what's been interesting is looking at the public reaction to the 1% proposal from the government, because I think generally the public reaction has been actually really hostile to that 1% offer. An Mm. Observer poll, I think, showed that 72% of people thought the offer should be more generous. And actually, even a majority of Conservative voters thought that the offer was too low, although um, not, it would appear, Nadine Doris, who is (laughs) a former nurse, as well as being a government minister. And Alison, I know you listened to her interview on Woman's Hour. What did she have to say and what did you think about it? Well, I thought her assumptions about the lives of nurses, um, you know, for somebody that identifies as a nurse, even though I think she gave up registration in 1981. Right. Um, So I think we have to consider how contemporaneous her knowledge is of the profession. But, yeah, I I thought that it it was quite an interesting set of assumptions and, and obviously a bit of an internalised misogyny, I think, assuming that, you know, everyone has a partner and a husband that can support them. And also always resorting to the comparing the national budget to a household budget. I've noticed that's been quite a common tactic. So, so, you know, there's nothing left in the housekeeping tin. When actually, you know, the the fiscal reality of this country is very different. You know, it's not really how economics works. (laughs) I think it's quite insulting that they they don't realise that we're actually quite intelligent people. You've written before, Alison, I know, on the whole issue of kind of gender and, and pay. And do you think that that also comes into play, that, you know, nursing is still, and and I think perhaps um, the Nadine Doris interview showed some of this, you know, the idea mm-hmm. of nursing being women's work uh, yeah. and therefore actually the fact that pay is where it is is to some extent a reflection of that gender issue? Yeah, I mean, undoubtedly women's work is less valued you know, we've seen this in, in a lot of female dominated professions and also as female dominated professions become male. So um, areas like IT in the 60s and 70s, IT was a was a female profession. And then sort of men, uh, you know, it was a kind of secretarial administrative work. Mm. And then as, as men migrated to it, pay and conditions became better. So, you know, it's, it's a well recognised phenomenon. But yeah, I, I absolutely do think that. And, and we see that not only in terms of the fact that men perform better in nursing in terms of pay and advancement, 
But we also see that in, in other narratives around not needing a degree, not needing an education, being a nice person, the playing out of the virtue script to describe nursing. And, and you know, you see nurse leaders do it too. Nurse leaders devaluing nursing. And, and when that happens, it's very, very hard to make an argument for equal pay on the basis of it being a knowledge intensive work. Uh, if then nurse leaders are saying it's not knowledge intensive and anyone can do it as long as they're a nice person. Going back to that 1% pay increase, which actually Dame Donna Kinnaird described today as as measly, that 1% pay increase has been calculated that, you know, it's not even the the cost of a meal deal. It's not even the cost of a day's parking in many hospitals where nurses have to pay for their car parking. And actually, the RCN, alongside the other health unions, has submitted to the pay review body a really, I think, powerful um, economic context evidence, which shows um, that strong economic case for a a pay rise. Alison, have you kind of looked at that? And how would you Mm. summarise some of some of that report? Yeah, I mean, I thought the London economics work was very good. I'm I'm not an economist, but um, you don't actually have to be to to really grasp this. You know, this is this is a big workforce, that if it has essentially money to spend, we'll spend it and boost the rest of the economy. I mean, in many ways, it's a little bit turning around the the sort of trickle-down economics that the current government actually favour. Big workforces with with decent pay are going to give confidence to the economy. So it seems a bit odd not to sort of take that as an advantage. So I I actually thought it was a, a really good report. I think it's worth just reflecting kind of where we are in terms of the whole process for this, because... I think people kind of see that as being this is what the government is offering nurses. We have our pay review body. And so the government's submission to the pay review body is that we should be given 1%. But the pay review body is um, an independent body or set up as an independent body and is now taking evidence from not only government, but also from, from the health unions. And so you know, it's the pay review body that will then report in in May as to what the offer should be. So I think that process we need to kind of keep in mind because a lot of people are are talking about, you know, what nurses will do. Will nurses go on strike in terms of this offer? And certainly when the offer was made, I think in response to the anger of, of members, our RCN council held an immediate emergency meeting and that agreed to set up a £35 million strike fund to support members if we get to a stage where industrial action is is considered, that strike fund being to provide pay to members if industrial action does go ahead and people uh, have days when they're, they're not paid. But we're still some way away from that. And of course, strike is not the only industrial action that people can take. You know, I think people think that it's strike action or nothing, and but actually there are different types of industrial action that have proven very successful for nursing around the world. Essentially, things like work to rule, closing beds in Australia. I think it was in Victoria. Nurses essentially closed beds once they became empty. And I think that lasted about 12 hours and they got a, a quite a good agreement from that. So there, there are different ways you know, nurses work a lot of unpaid overtime. The groups that I work with, for example, specialist nurses particularly, do an average of a day a week unpaid overtime. People like district nurses do even more. If there was a work to rule or 
you know, people worked just the hours that they were paid for, there would be a huge amount of labour lost. And I think it, you know, that would have a significant impact. I think the government have actually recognised that they've misplayed this, particularly in terms of some of the public reaction. And so perhaps to slightly diffuse the row, there's a suggestion now that nurses may be paid what some have called a a COVID bonus. So a one-off payment to thank nurses for their work during the pandemic. This has already been agreed in Northern Ireland and suggested in both Scotland and Wales. And there's a suggestion now that it may come to England. And um, Alison, what do you think of this as an as an idea i think it's a nice idea i think it'd be probably relatively well received as a bonus it isn't going to make up from 10 years of pay restraint and it isn't going to particularly help retention that would be my concern so uh, you know as a token um, and i know some employers actually are already offering things like extra days annual leave as a sort of recognition of the work that was done through the pandemic So there are some actually quite good employers that are already thinking about reward. But I think the only thing that's really going to stem the flow of nursing is decent pay. Now, one of the questions of the day when people meet is, are you Pfizer? Are you Moderna? Are you AstraZeneca? Which one of our vaccinations that are available have you had? And the mass vaccination rollout has brought a great deal of hope to people all over the country in terms of looking towards an end of of current restrictions. And it's predicted that an additional surge in vaccinations over the next few weeks will make sure that all over 50s and actually many under 50 in clinically vulnerable groups will have received at least one vaccination by the end of March. So, This is really one of the biggest projects since the inception of the NHS, and it's a programme that's largely being led by nurses. And we thought it'd be great to hear a bit more about what it's like on the front line of vaccination, how it feels, what are we learning? And so our special guest on our podcast today is Lou Cahill, who runs a mass vaccination centre in Newport in Wales. Hello, Lou. Hello. Good afternoon great to have you with us and thank you for finding the time to join us. Oh thank you for having me. Before we talk about the vaccination programme Lou just tell us a a bit about yourself. I am a registered nurse. I joined uh, my area doing a training programme in primary care which is run by our local health board. However as soon as we started the vaccines came online and I was moved over to uh, over to mass vaccination. So it's been very interesting. I have uh, a background in aid work, which is setting up centres and and different responses to different incidents. So it's been very interesting looking at mass vaccination because it's kind of slightly different in aid work. You often want to get everybody in, but here in mass vaccination, you want everyone in and you want them all out again. So it's, (laughs) it's a, uh, it's a slightly different approach, but yeah, it's, it's interesting. (laughs) And and your role is what, Lou? So I'm the clinical coordinator at one of our mass vaccination centres here in the health board. So I help to set up and run one of our big centres. We're doing about up to about 1,500 a day at the moment. Lou, how, how efficient has the rollout been? Was it really difficult to set up and make happen? I feel like in Wales we've been really efficient it's been such a challenge for everybody. Like you say, it's nothing we've ever really done before. 
but here it's felt like everybody's really pulling together and playing to everybody's strengths. We've got, um, I, I learned about nursing roles that I didn't even know existed. So our lead emergency planner is a nurse um, by background. Our ops manager is a nurse by background. So we've got some fantastic nurses leading our team. And it's been, yeah, it's been really interesting. I heard um, a great quote the other week and it said, the vaccine rollout is like flying a plane that's still being built. And it very much feels like that. <laughs> Lou, can you tell us a bit about what it's like just being in the vaccination centre and the atmosphere there, how people are when they come in? People coming to the vaccine centre are often in quite good mood. They're very excited to come in and get their vaccine. They often tell you the things they're going to do once they've had their vaccine and you have to remind them they've got to head to and wait for the rules to change. There's a lot of positivity and I quite, in some ways, I quite like it because you can sit there and, and watch them see people that they haven't seen for a year and people sort of giving air hugs and waving at each other across a room and shouting, you know, how are you? And people, one lady I watched shout back saying, I've got a new grandbaby. And people sort of shouting across the room, people that they obviously used to have a lot of contact with, but haven't seen in a long time. So it's very, it's almost like, it's almost like going into spring where people are starting to uh, change their mental attitude and feel a bit brighter and a bit more positive. What kind of issues have arisen and have you changed what you're doing on the hoof? We have changed some things. Um, to be honest, one of the biggest impacts that we see are around the anti-vax, anti-vaccine movement. I'm right. We have uh, patients that come with an awful lot of questions. They often come in with leaflets that have been posted through their front door or things that they've printed off social media. They're worried they're going to die. They're going to have their DNA altered, be injected with an abortive fetus. All of the things we know that aren't true, but we can see they're quite visibly distressed. Gosh, that's really pervasive, isn't it? If people are putting things through people's doors... Yeah, it's it's like a serious effort that they're going to. And some of the leaflets are really cleverly written to make things sound very formal. They come with a reference list. There's a professor that shares my last name and I'm devastated um, that's often quoted on all these leaflets. So when they bring them to me, it looks like people say, oh, you're related to them. I am absolutely not. <laughs> it's been really frustrating. Like we, we had somebody come in who was really really distressed about having her vaccine the immunizer came to see me to say I don't feel comfortable giving a vaccine to this lady she says she's having it under duress and when I spoke to her she had so many questions she had a big list of things and by the time we talked through everything you know and this wasn't somebody that was anti-vax this was somebody who saw a post on Facebook that worried them they went down a rabbit hole of misinformation on social media and almost didn't get vaccinated because of it so I was really pleased she had it but on reflection I'm actually really quite angry because she really is a victim of this anti-vaccine campaign. It goes to show the importance of nursing though doesn't it that you can address her fears and meet all her information needs so that she felt comfortable having the vaccine. It really does show the value of what you do. Yeah, one of the interesting things she said was when I said, you know, your concerns are completely valid, was she said, you're the first person to say that. Everybody says I'm stupid for thinking this. And I think we, it's very easy to dismiss people that have these wild thoughts and and pieces of information as hysterical or being stupid but you know it, it's genuine concern to people and it's really important as nurses we validate those fears and listen to them. We see quite a lot in the media don't we about kind of vaccine hesitancy but do you think a lot of that Lou does come from that misinformation? Yeah I think there's in general 
um, vaccine hesitancy around the fact that the vaccine sort of materialised quite quickly and that worries people. Mm. A lot of information is given through the media to individuals that's not always easy to digest and for people to understand what somebody is talking about when they talk about clinical trials and incidents and clinical trials. It's a lot to suddenly have to bring yourself up to speed and learn. This really is the first job I've had where hour by hour my patients can be on top of the breaking news before I can so it's I've had to set myself up things like google alerts for news stories on certain information and things in my region I've set up to do with I've got Newport and vaccine and um, other different words on my google alerts to pull up anything that might be happening in my region as well so that I can answer these questions when they come up I've never worked in such a real-time environment before Right. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. And and I guess particularly because we hear about, I'm still not sure about that term hesitancy, but particularly amongst um, black and minority ethnic communities, that that, that's where there is perhaps more mistrust of some of those messages and uh, some reluctance to, to get the vaccine. Why do you think that is in those particular communities? And, and, you know, what, what can we do to address that? I think we have to remember the BAME community. Um, I think the name is kind of being discussed a little bit at the moment because it's not really one group. It it includes a wide range of cultures and ethnicities, and it's important that we don't treat them all as one. Different communities are facing different challenges when it comes to getting people to take the vaccine. And for example, historical scandals across the world of drugs being trialled on black communities without proper consent has had a long-term effect on trust for healthcare professionals. The Tuskegee syphilis study, for example, may have been done on black men in America between 1930 and 1970, but the fear and distrust fallout of it really has been global and it's been a concern even to communities here in the UK. It's important to not think of this as just a a historical issue. As uncomfortable as it is, this is an ongoing issue. Earlier in the pandemic, that's 2020 last year, two French scientists suggested using the vaccine widely across Africa on black people first and then bringing it to the West if it was deemed safe. So that's not something that was historically done. That's last year. So these racist exploitative views are not consigned to the history books and it's important that we acknowledge that for our patients and there's also those who capitalize on that fear misinformation circling on social media has been directly targeting targeting black and minority ethnic communities including false rumors that the vaccine might contain alcohol or pork in order to try and get particular groups not to take up the vaccine And the consequences can be dire. We've seen vaccine rollouts fail, such as polio in Nigeria, due to misinformation. So it's it's really important that we we address this. It sounds like you've done some incredible work, Lou. Do do you think nurses are visible in leading the vaccination rollout? No, (laughs) Um, I think um, health employers need to do a better job of highlighting the work that nurses do. And I think that doctors respectfully need to stop white coat washing our profession by speaking for us and misleading the public over the role of nurses. Often they, you know, you see GPs online talking about um, how they provide childhood immunizations and of course we know in fact uh, GPs don't provide childhood immunizations the practice nurses run those programs and run those clinics so 
I think it's we need to do much more at uh, getting nurses visible and out there. I think it's what Suzanne Gordon calls claiming your agency. You know, mm. actually, instead of waiting for others to give us credit, actually claim it for ourselves yeah. the way that other groups do. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, Lou, you've been a great sort of advocate for that, you know, talking about your role and and what you do, picking up on Alison's point, you know, the more that we can do as nurses to talk about what we do so that the public understand what we do, then the the greater that perception of the of the reality of nursing roles is. Yeah, definitely. We need to get more nurses out there. We need to get nurses chatting on morning TV about health issues and and the politics of health. We need social media campaigns showing what nurses are doing. And I don't mean the fluffy stuff that we always see. Look how kind and sweet we are. Look how intelligent we are and look at how many of your problems we solve (laughs) with our skills and knowledge. (laughs) I always think John Hopkins does a great job of promoting the profession for the education, uh, the skills and the dynamic people that nurses are. And I think I'd really like to see the RCN do something like that something really quite hard-hitting and, and really shows who we are. Yeah, I think we all would. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> <It's> work <worth> in progress. <laughs> well, and I guess, you know, that's part of what, you know, this, you know, part of our reasons for doing this podcast is actually, you know, talking about what it is that, that nurses do and that sort of professional profile as, as well. We absolutely need to do do more of it. Lou, just a couple of things from kind of the last week that you know where vaccines have I'm sure your alert that you've set up has been going fairly crazy because first of all we we had the concerns sort of especially in in Europe about the AstraZeneca vaccine and the risk of blood clots and a pause in a number of European countries on its use and what's the effect of that been on on people for attending for vaccination is it something that people are asking about sort of do people say I don't want that AstraZeneca vaccine we get a varied approach I mean it's always been funny since the beginning when we first started with Pfizer we had people that didn't want it because it was foreign they only wanted AstraZeneca we then went um, online with AstraZeneca and not long after research came out showing that perhaps it wasn't quite as robust against some of the variants but AstraZeneca is obviously working on a booster that will be out in the uh, in the autumn. So it, it's still a very good vaccine. But of course, then we had people who didn't want the AstraZeneca vaccine. They only wanted the Pfizer vaccine because of that. Now we're seeing a sort of combination of people, people that show up to ask questions and people that don't just don't show up. And I was talking to a colleague that um, works in mass vaccination up north in England, and they seem to be having a similar similar experience as well. And I suspect it's linked to what's going on in the news. So people just not people having appointments and not not attending. Yeah, I'll I'll wait for another one. I'll wait till a different one comes. I'll wait till I can have the other one. And and often it's quite misguided. First of all, because these are groups we want to vaccinate. That's who we're doing at the moment. People with long term mm. conditions, people who are at extremely high risk of getting sick from COVID and from dying from COVID. So it's really important we vaccinate them as soon as possible. You don't want to wait several months in case you might get a different one. It's always better to get vaccinated now. And the AstraZeneca drug is a, it's a safe vaccine. It's a reliable vaccine and it's it's a good option to have. And the other issue is that we don't know what there's going to be in the future to give them. So It is such a sort of ever-changing picture, isn't it? It must be really difficult to keep on top of that, to be able to give the information that, that 
you need to support people in some of those choices really yeah it's been it's been really interesting to do definitely mm. and then just yesterday there was announcement of a um, significant shortage of vaccine and what's being reported today is that that may mean a delay in the rollout and specifically the plan to vaccinate those under 50 and is it too early to say what the impact of that is Lou or are you beginning to understand what the impact of this um, apparent shortage might be? Yeah I think it's I think it's a bit early to say what impact that's going to have for us we don't know what the supply issue will be if there will be an issue whether we'll be meeting second doses or still doing first doses as well we're not really sure it's not a massive reduction it's not no vaccine for four weeks it's a reduction in supply so yeah it's a bit early to say at the moment as to what the impact of that's going to be a bit early to say but certainly um making the headlines today. yes definitely <laughs> <laughs> so we're almost at the end of the podcast and we're going to look ahead at what's going to matter to the freshen in the next couple of weeks Alison, is there anything particular that you've got your eye on for the next couple of weeks uh, I think we've all got our eye on the pay deal and also, I guess, the vaccine hesitancy, because I think that's going to affect quite a lot of people if the influence in, in Europe ends up influencing people's decisions not to vaccinate here. So how about you, Rachel? Um, I think actually one of the things that's building at the moment is pressure on the government for a public inquiry into the pandemic and its handling of the pandemic. And I think that that's probably something that, and certainly it's something that the, you know, that the RCN has called for and there was some good comments yesterday from um, a couple of frontline nurses about about the importance of, of that public inquiry and learning some of the lessons. So I, I think that's probably the thing that I'll be looking for. What about you, Lou? For me, it's definitely going to be supply, seeing what happens to my supply and and how we get to vaccinate really over the next four weeks. Great. So that's the end of the podcast. Thanks for listening to this edition of Nursing Matters, the very first um, edition. We hope you enjoyed it and we'll be back soon. So please do follow us on your favourite podcast app and that way you'll get every new episode automatically. And we want to hear from you for future editions. In the next few shows, we're going to be answering listener questions on what matters to nurses. So if you've got a question, tweet us at the RCN with the hashtag Nursing Matters and we'll do our best to answer. In the meantime. Thanks to our special guest, Luke Carhill. Thank you very much. And thanks to you for listening. And we'll see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>